Hey dude, what's up? What's up? Hey, do you remember college? Bits and pieces. Okay. Do you remember Damien Gilbert from college? Bits and pieces. Damien's gone on to be an incredible cinematographer, photographer, world traveler. He's rubbed elbows with some really influential people. He's also an actor and a brand ambassador. Photomotographer? Oh, Jesus. I think I'm going to ask Damien to co-host this thing after we're done this interview. Wait, we started? Oh, my God. This is Damien's second story. Well, what was his first? Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Second Story. I'm Josh Sabalski. And with me, as always, is the man who has the hair of a baby, Corey Leckie. What's going on, Corey? <laughs> Not much, man. How was that? That was a good chirp. Uh, with us today, uh, an old, I guess, uh, I don't know how we would describe it, classmate. We weren't technically classmates, but we went to the same school for the same program. That's uh, Damien Gilbert. How's it going, Damien? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Corey and I have both uh, admired your work from afar for uh, quite a number of years. Especially with uh, you know Instagram and the emergence of that, I, you're I'm assuming you're on TikTok and all the other ones too. I don't really TikTok myself. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I kind of mostly I would say I would dabble with Instagram, TikTok. Uh, not much on Facebook anymore, but kind of gotten back into it. But yeah, TikTok's been uh, pretty interesting as well in the last few years. Yeah, we just started the whole TikTok thing, and it's it's pretty wild to see how many views we get on our stuff versus how much we get on like Instagram or Facebook or any of those types of things. It's, it's multiplied by a factor of like a hundred, I would say. And mm -hmm. we're a very small page. So I can imagine a bigger one like yourself. And it's, I, I just find the algorithms are so random with TikTok. You know, I could post one video and like nothing. And then the next day it's just like, boom, a hundred K. And then just like next one, nothing. And the next one's like 500. I'm like, it's so inconsistent and it's just random. And it's not even when it's when something does kind of go viral, it could take like a couple of days or something. It's not like pretty instant where I don't know. It's yeah, it's, it's weird how their algorithms work. Yeah, we're learning the whole algorithm thing. And it's there's some things there's like a method to it and you kind of can wrap your head around it. But there's other things that we've posted. I'm just like, how did that hit versus, you know, some of the stuff that we think is more engaging. But so we're second story. Uh, we, of course, talked to guests who have had an interesting change in their life that's led them in a different direction. So let's talk about yours a little bit. Uh, I'm not going to assume it. So I'm going to maybe let you tell what you feel your second story would be uh, sure. before I, we kind of jump into that. Okay. So, I mean, how I kind of even got into the whole video camera thing. Um, back in high school, we had this like kind of video production class. And, uh, you know, they gave us a camera, kind of go out and have fun with it. But I was always the one that was on camera. And then we started kind of developing little skits and doing stunts and whatnot, kind of like the Jack Hassel thing. And um, oftentimes, you know, I would do a stunt or something kind of crazy, and then the person operating the camera would miss the shot. And eventually I just got fed up and just started filming it myself because nobody was competent enough to do it. So then that's kind of how I got, you know, behind the camera. It's funny that you say that you started out as non-air talent and then moved into the video realm uh, it seems like you've kind of flipped that back around and, and you're doing a lot more on camera stuff these days. 
Yeah, within the last year or two, um, f- kind of had the fortunate opportunity to kind of do some kind of like brand work, right? Um, I ne- never thought I'd be whatever, quote unquote, an influencer or anything like that. But I'd get these requests, you know, just because of the stuff I was doing on Instagram to have these brands and companies kind of work with me in that regard. So I'm kind of getting back to where I kind of started and, and I do enjoy, you know, kind of working on both sides of the camera. So it's been an interesting year for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say you definitely went full circle and you could kind of see the, the comfort level that you have both in front and behind the camera. That's not typically something that you see people have. It's usually one way or the other. They're usually completely incompetent with the camera, such as myself, <laughs> or they know the camera and they're useless on screen like Corey. So yeah, kind of <laughs> cut a while. So some of your earlier years, you did some, some crazy work with some really high profile people around the time that we were getting out of film school. So like mm-hmm. mid two thousands, um, you want to touch on maybe that a little bit, like who you worked with, what you did. So as I was kind of wrapping up film school, I guess at the latter end of 2006, um, a buddy of mine had this opportunity to kind of go film with Tony Hawk and everything like that. So his mom kind of wrote in the letter to the fan mail club and saying, Hey, my son's a big fan. And we knew that there was the, the secret skate park tour happening in Winnipeg. So then we got invited out to that, but I kind of got to film it from the behind the scenes of him because he had no idea that he was going and meeting with all these guys. So then I filmed and all that and then kind of got, you know, in touch with their management and producers. And then once I finished film school, I'm like, Hey, can I do my placement down in California at your production house? And they're like, sure. So kind of that got my foot in the door and went down to California, did that. And so like, just, you know, fresh kid out of film school and getting to see like Tony Hawk and Sean White and all these other guys just kind of walking in every day. And it was kind of surreal for me and just seeing how they, you know, work at that professional level, even though it was like skateboarding, but they went really high end with it all in comparison to a real kind of like street level skateboarding video. So they were doing this high end production and just kind of, I got to soak it in like a sponge and then kind of incorporate that with what I was doing back home. So one of the things that's always amazed me about skateboarding and, and snowboarding and stuff like that is the, all those, uh, not all of them, but a lot of those guys seem to have really good, like, business sense like tony hawk for example he became a cultural icon uh rob dyrdek too like you think of him what he became it why do you think that is do you have any insight into why those guys do you know in comparison to other athletes who maybe just like hockey players can never seem to find that sort of post post playing business right versus you know skateboarders who just find a way to do it i think it's the work ethic because those guys are just you know relentlessly and just repetitive you know they work on a trick for so long and they're just putting their body through such pain and agony to get this one trick and uh, and i think you know for the right person it translates over it's like you know with the business end of things they can try something over and over and sometimes it doesn't work but i just think it's just in their nature to not give up you know and that's what i've noticed with a lot of skateboarders that even friends that are you know skateboarding background they weren't really great at it but when they kind of apply that same thing into the business end of things it's been successful for them that friend that you were talking about that that kind of his mom wrote the letter or whatever that's adam hopkins is that correct yeah and adam just uh competed for team canada at the pan am games so yeah you know and and he was just shy of 
qualifying for the Olympic team. So, you know, this kid from Thunder Bay that just had this determination ever since he was young, like when I started filming him and then right when he was old enough, just out to Vancouver to pursue skateboarding. And that guy's been all over the world, you know, competing. And it's pretty amazing to see, you know, when you have the will and determination to do something that kind of pays off because you never think that something like skateboarding would do that, but it's paved the way for him. You seem to have a lot of that yourself too. Like just with your, the way we, I've kind of watched your, your work evolve, like your video work in particular, when you started doing the waterfalls videos, you start chasing waterfalls, which you're mm -hmm. not supposed to do, but you did it anyways. Uh, when you started doing that, you really saw your work evolve and you, you kind of mastered the craft. And then to me, at least as an outsider, it pivoted and sort of brought that into other things. Is that something that you just sort of took from, you know, being, I'm not, I guess not mentored by skateboarders, but being around that and seeing that work ethic, did you carry that forward in your own career? I think um, you kind of pick up things when you're, you know, hanging out with like-mindeds and uh, I would kind of like hang out with other people that were kind of successful in their areas. So I think I'm just like, I'm kind of like a sponge when I'm hanging out with people for a long enough time that kind of picking up their traits and everything like that and apply it to my own life. And with like the, the waterfall thing, it's, you know, there's many of them around here that have like the, the paved way, right? Kakabeka Falls. And those weren't the ones that I was kind of intrigued about. It's like the ones that I got to hike 20 kilometers through bush that nobody's been to, you know, like it's trying to like get that first shot that no one's had. So that's kind of where for me, it was something I needed to do and just kind of get that first shot of something that no one's really seen, you know? Can we talk a bit about uh, your trip to Iceland? I think it was around seven years ago or so. Uh, you had done a, a video compilation of your trip to Iceland. And, mm -hmm. and then when you came back, we can get into you had done one for Thunder Bay as well. And I think you've talked previously about how that was kind of transitional for you in your career. Yeah, so that was a pretty big uh, yeah, life-changing moment, actually. So um, I think that was after the the third trip that I've done to Iceland. So I went originally in 2014 and then I went back 2015 and then I noticed they were doing this kind of music festival. So then I kind of, it's funny, I added the wrong guy on Facebook once and then I noticed he was doing this festival, he was promoting it and everything. So then I reached out to him like, Hey, I'm coming to Iceland. You think I get a, like a shooter's pass or something? He's like, yeah, no problem. Didn't think I'd get one, but he gave it to me. And then he was like stoked on the photos. So then, He's like, well, if we can use these photos to promote next year, we'll fly you out and have you shoot it again. I'm like, deal. <laughs> so then that year, the 2016 year, was when I went out again, and then I had a couple buddies with me and um, shot the festival. And then we met this guy named Arnie, who was like our bartender at the festival. And he uh, just kind of like, I don't know, he was an interesting guy, you know, so I kind of made friends with him. And then I'm like, hey, would you be interested in driving us around the island? And... <laughs> Basically, like we had two days and he just drove us around the island. We just, you know, driving 160. It was crazy. Like the guy would not waste any time. So <laughs> put like this radar <laughs> detector on, we just maximize our time. And I got so much footage in those two days. And then uh, I just like, oh, I got to put something together. I just got to make a little montage while I'm here. And then once I did that, it kind of, you know, blew up for Facebook at a time. I think it was like a hundred and something thousand views. And then it gave me an appreciation to, you know, see the landscape and I'm like, well, we have this kind of back home and I haven't seen anything that like this, you know, done for Thunder Bay. So then when I got back, 
that summer, I think it was like June or July, I just started hammering down of just like filming all the best of Thunder Bay in my perspective. So basically from like June till September, I wanted to release it for early September when people were going to be coming back for school, you know, going to school here. So that was like my goal to like hammer down these three months. And then when I kind of did release it, I never expected to get the response that it did. It just literally changed everything for me. And then the amount of actual corporate work I got and the licensing work I got from that video, which was just a personal project. You know, many people thought it was paid for by the city, but no, it was just my own kind of deal. I think I probably spent maybe like three, four grand of my own cash just to produce it, right? Driving and then, you know, hiring some people and doing all these things. So yeah, that uh, translated into a lot of work for me. I'm doing a podcast with this idiot, and you're uh, shooting the world. It's it's pretty neat. It was it was amazing, a truly amazing video. We'll definitely link it for you. It's funny because like I've pitched that concept to a couple organizations in Thunder Bay to promote it, and none of them bit. Like none of them seen it, you know, the way. And then once it came out, like, oh, can we use that? Can we license it for uh, you know recruitment and retention? I'm like. You guys could have had this for your own, but you missed out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Taking a passion project can turn into uh, opportunity. To be honest, like throughout my whole career, it's been like that. I, the, the trailer that I did for the, you know, chasing waterfalls, um, you know, I'm constantly putting out the waterfalls. I basically got reached out through Instagram about this production that was going to be happening. So it's, it was basically like a docu-series on the Great Lakes, kind of planter style. Like BBC was like in thinking of being involved, but it was end up being like TVO and Smithsonian. So then they, they asked me because like I was based up in this region and during COVID they couldn't really send people from Toronto. So then they asked if I wanted to kind of work on something like this. And I just thought I was doing two days. Like I just thought I was doing some drone work of Kekebeka Falls and High Falls. And then I just kind of, you know, made friends with the director and kind of told him we have so much more than this, you know, there's way more than just these two waterfalls around here. And then two years I was on that show and basically had my own schedule to kind of go around and do my thing. So that like really saved me during COVID, but it was me doing that stuff before that kind of led to this, you know, it was kind of interesting how it worked out. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Bad Workwear North America. They're a fashion-forward workwear brand from Australia with a wide selection of workwear for men and women that is not only durable, functional, but it is modern and stylish as well. With items like slim-fit work pants, waterproof hoodies, as well as a robust women's line, you're sure to find something that you'll love. They offer free returns and exchanges on all orders, and listeners of this podcast can head on over to badnorthamerica.com, use the promo code SECONDSTORY at checkout, to get 10% off their first order. Again, head on over to badnorthamerica.com. Use the promo code SECONDSTORY to get 10% off that first order. Go treat yourself to some new gear. We do talk you know, to a lot of people on this show about you know, how they followed their passion and things like that. And it's something that, that Corey and I are trying to do kind of later in life. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I tried it earlier and failed miserably, but we're, we're trying it again. We're giving it another shot. Um, there really is something to be said about about following your passion and kind of where it can lead you. Um, did you have other passions? Because there's a lot of things that you're doing right now. You talked a little bit about the influencer space, but this is going to seem silly to people who don't know you. But the whole burger thing, <laughs> like getting into to going, you know, around the world, you've tried burgers in a lot of different places. 
is is that like is food something that's a passion of yours that you kind of jumped into or, or how did that play into everything that you're doing honestly i don't even know how it all transpired to what it has but i yeah i literally anytime i go to these places it just me free food and their you know their shirts were but like i never expected i just like burgers and i just never expected it to evolve to where it has with the whole thing and so on your travels too um you you came up with a character that we have to talk about we were talking about going full circle so let's talk about mm-hmm. terry turnaround how did you uh come up with the character terry turnaround it's kind of random and ridiculous but um there was this like little I don't know, like a plugin or like a template on Instagram. And my friend, she just had like her driveway finished. And I noticed it just did this like slow, like zoom with like the hearts and everything coming out with this cheesy music. I'm like, it'd be funny if I just like <laughs> turned around with that, with my big Afro and mustache that I was rocking that time. And we were in Iceland, my <laughs> wife and I, and um, for whatever reason, it just blew up. And then people were like, Oh, we need more. So then, we were in like a field of lupins and I pop up and do it again. And then just like people wanted it daily in like area, different areas. So then I started doing it daily and then businesses started getting me to come in and do it for, you know, free stays at hotels or food, whatever. It just got random. And then, um, yeah, I never expected to kind of take off to where it did as well. <laughs> just <laughs> these little things that you never expect to snowball, you know? Um, I know myself, I was tuned right in on those, man. They were, they were hilarious. And then it turned into like you were doing commercial work as that character and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I got this thing going with Greenworks tools and, uh, they love having, uh, Terry as a part of it now. <laughs> so, That's so cool. Yeah. Would you say that your life is a bit of a series of that where you just, you try, try these things out and, and you're surprised by how they take off. Not honestly, like the majority of these things that I'm just doing for random, they, I don't expect anything of it. And it just kind of happens. And the things that I've like really put time and effort and think that I would, you know, get something back that it does happen. So yeah, it's, it's kind of super random, like kind of like how algorithms work now, just, you never know what's going to kind of work. Um, it all kind of stems when we used to do the stunts and pranks. I just kind of like entertaining people. So I just always trying to come up with something that what I think would be kind of funny and entertaining to watch. And then, you know, it might work with others, but sometimes it doesn't. So, yeah. So you mentioned Greenworks and I've seen you doing ads for like Kia and stuff like that. So getting into the influencer space, how did that come about? Like, did they reach out to you? Did you start approaching businesses? No, like I... I, uh, with Greenworks, they approached me about doing some work and then, and I thought it was more of me like actually like producing, doing the work itself. But then it was like, no, we want you to kind of like promote, like, you know, me being on camera. And so it was like, kind of like hand in hand doing some of the behind the scenes and actual content for it, but then also being the one on camera using the tools and yeah, we've just developed a really good relationship and uh, it's pretty pretty sweet gig with them. I, I can't complain. They let me have a lot of fun with the tools and a lot of creative control. And, uh, it's funny that they're using, you know, like my image for like a lot of their ads and the thing and just seeing it in places. Now it's pretty funny to me. <laughs> Never expected that at all. And then the thing with Kia, it's, um, you know, I paid my vehicle off and not, you know, wanting to 
you know, I always want to drive something newer because I've had a lot of old kind of shitty vehicles in the past that, you know, I just want something new and reliable. And a buddy of mine works there and, you know, I kind of asked, you know, what do you got if I trade my thing in? What can we do? And then just kind of snowball to doing a lot of content creation for them and in exchange for driving some, you know, newer cars and promoting all the newer ones that are coming out. And, and then just coming back from Korea, you see that they have different models over there that they don't have over here. So I kind of just intrigued with, you know, what's next. And they're just, they've evolved so much. They're not the old Kias that we once thought, you know, like in the early 2000s, they were kind of garbage and they're really good now. Yeah. Um, the first time I saw one of those, I was like, at first, I was like, I thought he did behind the scenes stuff, and then I started seeing it because it was that was my first introduction to uh, like seeing you do a lot of this stuff, and I was like, oh, he's doing Kia commercials, and then I looked at him like, well, I should maybe get a Kia, because <laughs> like, I was car shopping <laughs> at the time. Anyways, the EV6 GT, it's I think it's like the third fastest like takeoff in a vehicle right now on the market. It's w w there's this like little green button you hit. And they like warn you before hitting it. And then you literally, you just hit the gas and it just sucks you back into the seat. And it was like a hundred kilometers in 3.6 seconds. Like it's just like, or a hundred miles. Like it's, it's stupid fast. And then they asked if I yeah. wanted one of those. I'm like, no, like I'm going to get too many speeding <laughs> tickets. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to get hurt. Yeah. Plus it didn't really accommodate the, all the gear and everything. So I'm more of an SUV guy. Yeah. Stu the stupid people that do stupid things shouldn't have that car, right? no. <laughs> yeah, I, I already seen the foreseen the problems that I would have having a car like that fast. So yeah, so I currently like I've been working with the local dealership, right? But then Kia Canada actually wanted to use that video as well. So then they took it and pumped it out on theirs. So it's kind of neat how it went from you know local to kind of the national brand, right? So hoping to do some more like that to be good. Another uh, big kind of bigger brand that you deal with out of Thunder Bay is Heartbeat Hot Sauce. Um, can you talk a bit about your relationship with them? Yeah, so uh, Nancy, one of the co-owners, um, I used to go to high school with her. So we go way yeah. back. And then her partner, Al, but he's with him over years. Uh, he was really good friends with the band that I used to work with as well. So we just kind of had this connection. And, you know, them as a couple, just we always kind of maintained it and then like how the sauce kind of evolved with just kind of giving it out to friends and then it's like no this is a crazy product here and then it just kind of very grassroots level you know starting in the the small local stores and it just evolved to where it is now and i just kind of always you know been apart in some way you know like I, I shot a lot of the the original kind of like product shots and then do little like promo videos and then you know get the travel with them and shoot like their kind of partnerships with the NASCAR thing and everything like that. And now with uh, Dustin Poirier and making his sauce. So just all these connections that I've built through them, which has been amazing. I never expected that either. You know, it just kind of snowballed as well. And it's funny when I was in Korea, I, um, well, I mean, cause I knew I was going to Korea and then I seen that a fighter that he had one spot, uh, a Korean zombie, like posted one of his sauces using it. So I'm like, reached out to Dustin. I'm like, Hey, what do you think about me delivering a package to Korean zombie on behalf of you? And he's like, love it. Let me reach out to him, see if it works. And then sure enough, Korean zombie invited me to his gym, got to deliver it and meet him and everything. And then 
couple of weeks go by while I'm there. He's like, Hey, I want you to come back to the gym. I got something for you. So then he had this like awesome little care gift package for me and Dustin and everything. So just, it was pretty neat how it <laughs> all transpired, yeah, you know? Yeah, that was amazing, dude. Uh, I'm a, I'm a huge UFC fan. So Are you? Uh, okay. see, yeah, seeing you get to go to UFC this year and like meet with Dustin Poirier and all that. What's that like for you? Like to, do you get starstruck or you, like, you just said, oh, I just reached out to Dustin Poirier. And so it's funny. I, I, so I'm going to give you a little backstory, which is kind of funny. So, um, I went down last November, actually, I went down to the Toronto card show, like sports card show. Like I went pretty big in the sports cards and everything. So I went down for that weekend and literally on my flight, Al from Heartbeat, one of the owners, calls me while I'm literally on the plane like just about to take off. He's like, what are your chances you can come to New York tomorrow? I'm like, I don't know. Cause I don't have my passport. He's like, well, we got a ticket here for USC if you want to come down. So just whatever you got to do, try to make it work. So then I'm scrambling. I'm like, I'm like, how do I get my passport? Da, da, da. So then I, I knew that like my buddy's mom was going to Toronto like that night later. So then I reached out to him like, Hey, if I have someone go try to find my passport at my place, drop it off to your mom. You think she can deliver it? And it all worked out. I ended up getting my passport like midnight and I had to be on a flight for like 6am to like fly to New York. And then it all worked out and I had to like change all these flights and everything. But so we watched the fight. Dustin wins that night. It was wild. The next day he had like a kind of meet and greet, you know, um, for, I think it was like a partnership kind of deal. So then we went to this after party and when I seen him, the first thing Dustin says to me is, Terry, I love that guy. <laughs> and it blew my mind that he actually seen the video, like that little like fake ad campaign that I did, right? And then we just kind of like, I don't know, just built a relationship from that point on. And uh, yeah, it was just hilarious. Like, <laughs> I didn't expect that at all that he like came up to me with that. Yeah. So then That's just so kind of over the year. Yeah. We just kind of, you know, we, yeah, both follow each other on Instagram, kind of chat every now and then here and there. And then I actually went to his hometown in April to go crawfishing with one of his sparring partners. And uh, <laughs> it was pretty wild just to see how they uh, operate in Louisiana. I guess me and my wildest dreams, I wouldn't go, hey, uh, Dustin Poirier is sitting there on Instagram watching my videos, you know. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, it's just surreal to think about that. And just how, yeah. how like nonchalant you are, you're like, yeah, I just, I went down crawfishing with. Yeah. I mean, the world is a lot smaller than uh, we think it is nowadays, just the way social media is. Uh, and I've, I've learned that and just, you know, we're, that they say that five degrees separate, it's a lot smaller than that now. Like you, you almost have reached to anything now. It's, it's pretty unreal. Yeah. We're also interconnected. It also, it's kind of killed a lot of anonymity, which for some people is probably problematic but i'm curious for you so i was going to ask you before like has anyone ever come up to you and and said like terry or like recognize you from stuff obviously dustin poirier has but is that a regular thing people recognize you from from ads or things that you've done on camera yeah it, it happens a lot um it's kind of my wife finds it kind of annoying sometimes but like you know you go go to get groceries or something and then people come up to me and i never expect that it's kind of it's odd to me, you know, but it is what it is. Um, some people actually think my name's Terry, you know, <laughs> they don't know me as who I actually am. So yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. I know through the years, like fitness has, has been a big part of your life. I also know that at one point, 
um, you were struggling with kind of weight issues and things like that. So can you talk a bit about like your journey with physical fitness and health? Yeah. So there was a period of time where I would say like maybe late, no, it was about 2009 till 2013. I got pretty heavy. Like for my, you know, I'm a pretty short guy. I'm like five, four, but I was like 200 and something pounds. Like I was, I was pretty fat. <laughs> and, and then I just, and I didn't realize until I started seeing photos from like farther, we did this little like show kind of like a, called anything I can do. Anything you can do, I can do better. It was like a little kind of web series of my buddy and I. And when I'm looking at myself in these clips, I'm like, Oh God, I'm like something's gotta be done. So then my buddy kind of got me on track to kind of, you know, change up the diet again and start getting back into the gym. And it was a slow progress, but then ever since then, I've been pretty, pretty active. Um, the diet's always a hard thing for me because I love burgers and I love good food. So I think that's kind of how <laughs> I counteract eating like that is by training. Nice. You said you have a lot of friends who are personal trainers. You seem to have a lot of friends in general. I'm curious how you manage like a robust social life. Because like I, I was just hanging out with one of my buddies on the weekend. We hadn't seen each other in a year, and this was probably one of my best friends growing up. And we're like, why don't we see each other? I'm like, because we're bit busy as hell. Like, when do you want to hang out? Like that kind of thing. So how do you, how do you manage that? And how do you manage all your other commitments too? Like doing all the different things that you do. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because yeah, a lot of my best friends you, you don't see them as much as often. Like my longest childhood friend, I think we go from like six years old. You know, I'm 39 now, and. It's like we're doing lunch on Wednesday and like, you know, at least once a month we try to meet up and everything like that. So it's just trying to make the time, even though we're all super busy, you know, everyone's got their family, their job and everything like that. So just trying to even getting in a half hour, hour with someone like that. I think it's an important thing to, you know, maintain that relationship, keep it going, you know. Um, but yeah, I just for me, what I learned, I think kind of young was network is super important. So having people in all these different avenues and just it's been beneficial for me to to know someone in every kind of area, you know, like from doctors, the police officers, to lawyers, to personal trainers, to a plumber, to, you know, like it just having just kind of like this big network. It's just been it's been interesting, you know, to see kind of all the behind the scenes of it all and just kind of learn a little bit from everything. Right. And like you said, helping them out with things maybe in turn like ideally down the road maybe they're there for you when you need it too right yeah so like oftentimes you know because i have a skill set that they might need and they have skills so there's you know the bartering thing happens at times the trades and just it's nice when it's something like that that you know we can both help one another you know it's no kind of nothing else really is attached to it right no money so so i do kind of a similar business to you. Maybe I don't travel as much and all, and all that kind of stuff, but videography and I do it in a small town. Mm-hmm. Um, your, where you're from is, is even more isolated from kind of big centers, say like Vancouver, Toronto, that kind of thing. Do you find any challenges around that or do you find it's, it's a benefit for you? There's pros and cons to that. Um, obviously, you know, with what we have here, we're limited in terms of like, we need certain gear, right? We don't have like Toronto to like rent everything. Um, 
locations at times. There's not so many indoor locations that are really accessible. Um, if you want a certain look for something, you know, and then also it being a small town, there's a lot more companies now than there used to be. Um, so the, the market has become a little more saturated, but at the same time, a lot of us work with one another. So if we need this guy for this, you know, like a lot of us kind of work and help each other out, you know, building this good relationships with like-minded individuals has definitely been beneficial. Um, I mean, there's a few rivalries in our city for sure. Like there's a lot of companies that don't want to work with one another. Um, but I think for me, because I don't really do the, the wedding thing or the event stuff, I kind of stuck to doing the, or film television stuff, stuff that comes in through Thunderbase. So like, that's a big pro for me. It's when we have these out of town productions that need something done, I'm kind of like one of the guys that kind of constantly gets like the call for that. So that's been good in that regard. Um, so I've kind of just more niched into what I like to do and not just take anything on. So then, you know, there's still stuff for everyone, right? Yeah, it's it's uh, similar here, I guess. Like, you know, I, I try to be very collaborative with, with my peers in the same uh, field because you need them at mm -hmm. times. Um, and then at the same time, some of those rivals that you were speaking of, when they're kind of in a space um, where that's their main thing. I usually don't try to tread in that because I'm like, well, that keeps them busy <laughs> in what they're doing that that mm -hmm. I can go and take the other stuff. So yeah, um, it's kind of a win-win to think that way. Yeah, yeah. No, I think there's definitely, I mean, just with how, I mean, social media has changed everything where everyone needs content now. So it's obviously given the volume of more work for everyone now. Like, and there's everyone I know that's like in the industry now here in Thunder Bay, they're all busy. Like everyone is like, there's not too many people I know that are really just sitting on their ass, not doing much. Like it seems that there's as small of a market as it is in Thunder Bay. It seems that everyone's busy, you know? So that's a good thing. So you talked about networking and how networking is important. That's actually something we've talked about quite a bit on this show with some of our guests. Um, would you say most of your networking, like you being in, you know, sort of online, is it mostly done through social media or do you do a lot of like in-person face-to-face networking as well? Like going to those like events, like those networking events? No, it's not really for me. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm but, saying. <laughs> but the odd, like there's quite a few different like, you know, charity-based events and everything that all you know, I'll work on, like, I'll, I'll do photos at or attend in some capacity. And those are good. But yeah, a lot of it, I think, is more through online now. Is that something that came naturally to you? Or is that something you kind of had to work at? Like, even networking online? Is that something? Was, was it always easy to reach out to people? Or did you kind of have to build up like a, an ability to do it? Yeah, like I used to be pretty uh, introverted. You know, I used to not be very <laughs> outgoing and you know so yeah i definitely developed that over time i would say my dad always taught me squeaky wheel gets the grease so i just kind of you know don't be afraid to ask for something or you know be shy you know what's the worst someone's gonna say is no so now we were all very lucky to have met your father mm -hmm. uh when we were in film school together he acted in a lot of our our movies um sorry to hear about his passing by the way yeah. and yes, uh sir. did you want to talk a bit about him and kind of his his support for you yeah i mean he was a major support in the whole thing for me i probably wouldn't be doing what i do without you know the support that he had given me back in 
high school, you know, buying my first camera, which was like, it was funny. It was like, I think like 2002 or three. And he bought me this like compact VHS camera from 1989. That battery lasted maybe 15 minutes. So we made it work, you know, like we got to clip the film. Let's get it. So I think that kind of taught me lessons like, you know, we have such a limited time here. Let's make the best of what we got. And then once technology evolved and started recording digitally, then I was like, okay, we have so much more room for activities now. But yeah, I just, he was always very supportive with, you know, helping me get certain pieces of gear and, you know, letting me kind of film and do what I want and, you know, getting me into the, the college and everything like that. So yeah, definitely huge. Cause I know, you yeah. know, like friends, parents at that time were all like, well, you should probably, you know, get like a real job and do like, you know, go to school for something that's going to, you know, you know, and, and it's funny that a lot of those parents have now come around and seen because I've built a pretty successful business doing what I'm doing now that they've changed their tune. But at the time it was like, they felt like I was just wasting my time or something like that. Or often ask, you know, are you doing anything else? No, I'm like, no, I, I don't need to do anything else. Like I've been sustainable doing this, you know, for 20 plus years now. Yeah. I find uh, people still kind of question this as a, as a viable career. Like <laughs> I have people say to me like, Oh, you do that full time. And is there enough work for that? It's like, are you not on Instagram? If it, like, are you not seeing the amount of video content that is out there today? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's just crazy. And it's just like a constable renewable thing. Like it just, people always need new stuff. You know, it's not like, the old days where you built this one old video and it's supposed to last them a couple of years. Like, no, they need to constantly be putting new things out. So, uh, okay. with the real estate thing, I never thought I would do that. I, um, I basically was just working with one realtor, a buddy of mine, Vince, and then other agents at his office were starting to see that the photos were much better than their cell phone photos and he's doing video. So then it just became like a very consistent, you know, work and, I enjoy it. You get to see a lot of interesting places. <laughs> so talking, just going back to friends, parents and stuff like that, I'm sure that's something that Corey experienced. I, I experienced it too. Um, there seems to be, and, and this is not something that's really changed over the years, but the whole idea of like making money and, and surviving off something creative, it's still not something that people get. Like mm -hmm. I try to preach it to my kids, but my kids are six and three. So I feel like over time when they're like 16 and if they're still into coloring and they're like, I want to do this for a living, I'll be like, well, let's try math or something. I feel like I will become that person. But every parent I knew when they found out I was going to film school were like, well, what are you going to do with that? Mm -hmm. Work in film, like in some capacity. Yeah. And you look at our graduating class, we had like 18 people and I think only two or three of them don't work in film in some capacity. I'm one of them. That wasn't for me though. I got a little taste of like doing that and it just, it wasn't for me. I kind of went the independent route. I went a much different direction than my peers did. And, uh, I seem to enjoy it more. So, <laughs> I mean, I did some different roles, you know, like a camera assistant, I was the operator and like I said, mostly independent stuff, but some of them had that hierarchy system, right? Where you can only talk to the guy above you and the one below you and you know, oftentimes it wasn't like a good community feeling. It was just kind of like very sterile environment and long days and hours and you're just kind of miserable. And yeah, it just wasn't for me, you know, these 16, 18 hour days every day for a couple of weeks. It just like, ugh. 
I think we're very similar in that regard because I'm, I'm the same way I get tired of doing the same sort of things and mm-hmm. just always constantly got to be trying new things and changing. And to go back to the, the question about like uh, parents saying, you know, is that really what you're going to do and that kind of thing? Do you think that that mindset is going to change? Because I don't feel like it has yet, even though we have it, it's in our face all day. There's content everywhere and it's, it's multiplied over the years. Do you think there will be a shift there and people will be have more of an appetite to be like, oh yeah, my kid is really, you know, a really talented musician or they're really talented on stage or what have you. Like maybe we should push them in that direction rather than telling them to go teach history or something. Sorry, Corey. <laughs> that's, what Corey that's what Corey was going to do. <laughs> I think, um, well, I don't know, like this new opportunities have opened up like YouTuber, right? So I know people like, you know, friends of mine that have these kids and they're like, oh, they, they want to be a YouTuber when they grow up. Then they're like six and eight. I'm like, that's the concept that they have right now. So like as a parent, I don't know how I would react to that, you know? So I think because of how things have gone, that it's more acceptable to be a creative, you know, but we grew up where, you know, our generation was like, you know, the nine to five, you know, they work these blue collar jobs. And I think that's changing, you know, more people are working remote now. So it's, I think it's shifting, you know, you know, from what our parents kind of went through, you know, and then there's before that, I think it's changing a lot. So I think it'll be a little more lenient towards, you know, being a creative, you know, they could see that you can do it. Yeah, I do think it will change eventually, especially the generation that's coming up now, like the kids who are maybe between the ages of like, I don't know, five to 10. Like my daughter's like, what do you mean you have to go to work again? It's like Tuesday. You know, she's like, you went to work yesterday. And I'm like, yeah, and I got to go tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And she's like, oh, why? I'm like, good question. I, I don't know why. Because yeah. <laughs> daddy wasn't creative enough, I guess, to, to find other ways to make money. I think it's with anything it would be important to show them kind of like the work involved in it right like it's not just you know i actually say this to my students that i teach at the college um like it's not just about talent anymore if you got to run a business like you were saying you got to be uh able to network you got to be able to do finances um scheduling production planning uh, equipment rentals and, and different things like that. Um, it, there's so much more to it than just being able to point and shoot and frame up a shot. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of people don't see that or even like particular clients when you're giving them a budget and like, well, why does this cost that? I'm like, well, this, 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 and this, but you just see me, you know, showing up as with a camera. It's like, you don't see the pre-production involved or what's got to be done afterwards. So yeah, it's, there's a lot more than what most people think, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. And it's, yeah. Work ethic, you know, um, I think that's what I think any success comes to is your work ethic, you know, it's just not, nothing's handed to you. Nothing happens overnight either. It's, it's an accumulation of all these hours and things that you've done that kind of build up to where you are, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing people don't really see, like just to use your, your waterfall videos as an example, people see the videos and they're like, Oh, that's cool. You know, it's amazing that he got to those places. They don't ever really think about, well, how did he get there? How did he lug the gear to get there? You know, how did he find those places? Who do you have to call to, you know, help him? Who do you have to call to whatever, get permission to shoot somewhere? None of that ever is really thought about. It's just you see the surface and you see what sort of the finishing thing is. And you're like, cool. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and there's, there's no real depth to the thought of like what else happened to make this happen. I just that's kind of like why I've been trying to like put more of like in stories of like you know the journey into some of these things so people can have a realization of what it's like. You know, like you're getting crushed by mosquitoes, you're walking through swamps, you're going through crazy elevations. It's hot out. You know, it's just all these things that just to get one shot. It's kind of crazy, but. Yeah, that one video with you and all the mosquitoes, I was like, I do not envy this guy right now. Eating burgers, sure. I'm pretty envious of that, but yeah. getting uh, having like hundreds of mosquitoes following you around, like, no, that's not for me. Not fun. Yeah, that's the, I would say the worst thing about this region, mosquitoes for sure. If you were to talk to people about coming, coming to watch this podcast, specifically the one with you in it, uh, what do you think they're going to gain from that? I think uh, a little insight of just, you know, like we're talking, it's, like, it's not a traditional job. And I think, you know, if you really want something in life that you can achieve it, you know, there's definitely a way for making the things happen in life that you want. If you're willing to put in the work and uh, go for it, you know, don't be afraid. I never thought that anything was unachievable. I'll just kind of try it. You know, you got to at least try, you know, I'd rather... You know, like fail trying than not knowing it ever could happen, right? By not going for it. So I think just if you see something that you really want to go for, just at least try.